Welcome to the Six Hats podcast, where I, Dr. Shami, a lifestyle and nutritional medicine family doctor, will talk about how women strive to find balance each day by juggling their six roles, being a woman, mother, daughter, partner, business owner, and professional. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Six Hats podcast. And I'm so excited to have different conversation today. I've invited a mother and daughter, and we're gonna talk about parenting. Now, millions of mothers struggle in silence and the numbers are only rising, but there is hope. And we're gonna dive into some different topics today. So I'm really excited to welcome Bali to share her journey on losing the perfect mother's handbook. And we had a joke about it because we were talking about this podcast and she actually mentioned how, isn't it funny, I felt like I did lose this perfect mother's handbook and I've been trying to find it all this way. So I'm really excited to have Vali. Thank you, Xiaomi. It's such an honor to be here. And you have created a profound space of hope, hope for women to breathe, to be real. And I am such a fan. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bali. And we have also her daughter, Diana, who'll be bringing insights on the mother-daughter relationship. So it's going to be a really fun conversation. Welcome, Diana. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Shami. It's a very important relationship. It's also a very complex and challenging one. So I'm very excited to talk about it today. Awesome. So apart from being a mother, Vali is also an academic scholar in financial literacy, an expert delegate to the United Nations of Commissions on Status of Women. She's also a former professional dancer, choreographer, and internationally recognized yoga trainer. So her six hats do, doesn't stop there at all. She's also the founder of multi-awards winning Journey Towards Hope Arts Projects, and that goal is to engage, educate, and empower participants to address the root cause of stress. What a great topic, Bali. And to restore well-being by using mind and body approaches. So how does she wear these hats while being a mother? Now, having seen loved ones suffer the devastating effects of chronic stress from a young age, Bali is passionate to help others gain hope and find better ways to back to optimal well-being. Now, three decades of experiencing working with the most diverse cases, including her own condition, she has lived, worked, and traveled 23 countries, gaining clarity, confidence, and connections with other fabulously flawed mothers, as well as women. I love how she says that. Now today, she still finds time to share her wisdom to support women, children, and adults to manage life-changing results through in-person and online spaces, which we'll dive into. But first, can you tell everyone, Bali, why you're so passionate about mothers and women's well-being? Well, Xiaomi, I grew up having a front row seat watching what happens when women selflessly sacrifice their well-being. My mother had a massive stroke at the age of 42. I was then eight. I remember my dad, me, and my five siblings were in the hospital. The doctor shook his head and said, she's not going to make it. My mother, however, fought back from that. We, her family, gave her hope. The paralysis went all the way up her dominant right side body. She couldn't get her limbs or facial expressions or speech under control. Things that none of us may even think twice about became suddenly devastatingly challenging. Again, we, her family, gave her hope. 
My father was a lifelong yoga practitioner. He hopefully inquired about incorporating holistic eating and yoga practices, mind-body practices to complement my mother's treatment. Although the medical system then, they appeared totally dismissive of his proposals, my mother's dedication and commitment and her mindset was simply incredible. I clearly recall the same doctor much later referring to her as a medical miracle. So anyway, mom lived for another 10 years and she projected so much gratitude for simply being alive. From the perfectly capable doer and ever busy mother, I experienced her transformation. She was now fun, witty, so uninhibited, fully present and engaged. Well, with her innate calm clarity and even her limited mobility, wow, she routinely practiced movement, breath work, and meditation. And I was just so mesmerized by her imperfectly perfect movements and her radiantly crooked grin. I recall consistently feeling good when I practiced with her and laughing together at her simply awkward, flawed moves. I later realized how she had taught me to move and dance with my inner dimensions, and to be synchronized to the rhythms of my own breath. She told me fascinating stories of wisdom. She taught me a soothing practice of practicing by placing my hand on my belly button to be reminded that, like a mother and child, human beings are always, always interconnected. So very much inspired by her journey, I developed a fascination for the power of mind-body connections. I studied human movements and I was privileged to be trained in intercultural dance and yoga by some incredible mentors and elders, including my father. Well, unfortunately, conformity and complacency took over as I became a mother myself. I managed many, many more hats, wife, sister, banker, academician, researcher, author, friend, speaker, it goes on, doesn't it? And then in July of the year 2000, I had an unanticipated complication while delivering my third child. I recall fading in and out of consciousness with visions of the yearning faces of my two little daughters. I had promised them both that mom will return home tomorrow with a new baby for you. Well, over this episode, it clearly dawned to me that I will not let my three children prematurely lose their mother, nor watch her degrade with stress and burnout and the crippling isolation from trying to be a perfect mother, essentially the way my mother had. I just knew there had to be a better way, you know, to prioritize the wellness of my inner dimensions. Well, because here's the thing, we are not alone, especially when it relates to the toxicity of stress from the perceived notions of perfection. I feel passionate about this. There is so much we can collectively do to improve the quality of our lives for this very brief time on this planet, isn't there? And it's a very personal mission for me, not only for my own health and my own family, but for connecting and equipping others with hope, with life tools that can prevent or reverse the degradation of our well-being. Hope to be inspired and committed to being alive, being genuine and connected. And instead of resigning to unreal notions of perfection, notions that brings hopelessness and isolation, so that 
that might not be the whole story, but it's a huge part of the story of why I passionately founded Journey Towards Hope Projects and why I prioritize mothers and women's well-being as my personal mission. Amazing, Farley. Wow, what a beautiful story. And what I really took from that is your awareness, awareness of what was going on, you know, the changes that were happening to your mom, but also just the awareness of being present, of being mindful, and also the fact that she was now really appreciating and valuing life. And, and you were aware of that. And that's something I do want to comment and commend you as well, because we do sometimes go through life just actually quite unconscious and not being aware. That's a huge part of your journey as well, which is amazing. So I love for you both to share a couple of stories and get Diana's version of your story, Vali, as well. <laughs> Who would like to start first? Um, I think, Diana, how about anything from your end? You know, just feel free. Shoot it out. Yeah, thanks, Mom, and thanks for sharing, you know, your experience as a daughter and your journey. I always think of you as my mom, but you do wear all of these other hats as well, but you never make me feel like the hat of mom is being neglected. And when I'm just hearing about you reflecting on your experience with your mother, I can't help but think of the saying like mother like daughter because in your adulthood you have definitely carried those traits that you described in your mother because I see you being so present so funny and so witty with me you know and you're the you're the emotional rock of the family and you make me laugh even when I'm calling you at my lowest and you always remind me not to think too far ahead into the future. You always say, okay, Sarah, whatever will be, even though it really annoys me because you say that very often, <laughs> but it's so true. And, you know, just reflecting on your experience with, you know, birthing your third child, my brother really just speaks to how difficult and challenging the role the mother is and that's not to be morbid I, but it's just to remember that and to just be grateful for that because it's really such a thankless role in this society we really there's no award there's no salaries there's not a lot of public recognition for what a mother does and I can only speak about my experience my mother I'm noting that every experience is different but you know I really like my relationship with my father I think I've gotten so much out of that relationship that is unique to that father-daughter relationship but mom is the person that I and anyone else in the family go to when we are at our lowest and she really manages the well-being of the entire family she's that nucleus and there really is just such an important role. And I think as a society, we don't value that role enough. In terms of um, in terms of stories, well, yeah, there's definitely quite a few stories. And there's I think there's definitely quite a few times where mom might have been, you know, labeled as a as a bad mom. It was it's society uses lots of different words, tiger mom. You know, if, if you're too strict, 
or a busy mom, you know, if, if you're balancing all your other hats and you might not be as engaged as society expects you to be, or maybe narcissistic mom, if you're proud of your child and you want to tell people about it, there's so many words that are used and these words can have a silencing effect they can cause guilt if you know you feel like you're not being perfect but i think one of the great things about mom is that she always has this strong voice and she never really let other people put her in a box and you know even when she was accused of maybe being strict by myself i think when i was a kid i definitely used that word you know i didn't like the fact that she didn't give me all the toys i wanted i didn't like the fact that she didn't let me have sleepovers i didn't like the fact that when i graduated high school and i wanted to go and party or go and travel with my friends she whisked me off for a yoga retreat so I definitely, <laughs> definitely use the term you know I def it was definitely easy to villainize her as a bad mom and that's that goes to how challenging the role is because you have to keep being a mom even in the face of your own child <laughs> putting all these words to to you and you have to keep being steady and grounded in your own sense of self and I think you did that really well so yes <laughs> I would love to hear about this yoga retreat <laughs> that you managed to whisk her away Bali that well, is so yeah funny. yeah that was tricky but I think sometimes I just realized I just got that much of energy and where do I want to expand it and I think like wow young people or children have got so much energy we've got no time to do the negotiation so that's where wisdom comes in you know don't negotiate too much act craftily <laughs> now so again I could have been accused of being manipulative or so on there's so many adjectives towards it but while silence was the word working around it and Dinah was whisked off to London from Spain where she graduated on high school that's a whole different story and Dinah it wasn't just a yoga retreat it was a long session of weeks in the ashram where you graduated to be one of the youngest yoga teachers there and you ought so many so <laughs> that's um it's nice to see your humility but I'm so proud that you have since been that quiet, careful, calm yoga teacher behind the scenes. And that was what happened. <laughs> so, yeah, I was just ready for the horns to come out from this young teenager who was whisked away from Mayoka with the friends and not to mention whatever the friends were going to say to me. I was at the risk of losing your friends and their moms, of course, like, oh, just let your daughter do it. Don't you think she deserves it? So I must say it wasn't easier said than done because conformity is not just something you jump out of. It is no one's got to stay true. And that's where those practices, those life skills that we don't get taught at school comes in. It was just uh, if I could step away from my daily practice, my day was chaotic. <laughs> so I had to step into it, seeing whatever direction, whichever wind my kids were going to throw on my direction, call them snowballs or so. <laughs> yeah. And I was just fascinated with the time about taking you to school and realizing it was a no teaching there and uh, getting into trouble by the teachers. Yeah. Do you remember that, Dinah? You were like about six years old or so. Yeah, it really, I think 
you were told that there's no teaching today and you should have known because a letter was put in my backpack uh, when I went home and you, I think you were accused of not looking through your children's backpacks. So that's a no-no. You should be more engaged. You should be more involved. You should be looking through the backpacks. But I think from memory at that time, what you were working full-time and still having you were still looking after three kids and you were just expected to do it and make it look easy and you only had so many hours in the day so that I think there is a lot of social expectations uh, that were put on you at the time and I, I don't even remember you complaining about it at all you just got on with it <laughs> Yeah, and then just when we think about indifference because of women who wear the other hats or want to do things for themselves, being inefficient or an ineffective or an uncaring mom, there's the other version of being helicopter moms. And, you know, when we engage as we do, because I believe like quite often no one knows the child than the person who's there most of the time, you know, regardless of what statistics or books tell us about it. But remember then moving countries, we've lived in several countries and the three of you were pretty little. We thought, wow, this is a great school. We'll send you to that school. They provide lunch. Oh, that's great. But hang on, I need to go and have a say and see how they're doing. And as I entered the school, after dropping the three of you, there was this huge sign that says parents not to pass beyond this line and uh, all right so those it was a different school different country different culture where parents took a very active role and were going right into the classroom or so so I later found that out but yeah so I got into the principal found different ways and then said how about some programs for the children this have been proven um, based on the research tapped on my expertise the researcher back then and gain some evidence to support that and say, I am happy to bring these programs to the preschool where Vicky was, your, my second daughter, and to the great one where Diana was. And long story short, it was a hit. I could walk in and out whenever I wanted to. I participated and it even made it to the newspapers where Vicky was the cheerleader of the group. <laughs> and uh, yes, yeah, so it was different ways. And I can just recall that that conforming was hard because I said, all right, one moment I was the indifferent mom with too many professional ambitions that I forgot my daughter was not having a teaching day and sending her into school, even negotiating with the teacher. All right, it's not a teaching day, but can you have her today? I've got a presentation to give. Well, it didn't work, but it made me more unpopular. <laughs> and uh, and then on the other side, to be the mom who shouldn't be allowed in when she wants to be part of it, you know? So again, what do we do for that? Do we sit in a corner and throw hands and say, what do we do? Or do we conform and keep being pushed around like, you know, like a leaf blown in the wind? Or do we reconnect to our intuitive self and just be the genuine, just the best person we can be? But firstly, to connect with ourselves, because our kids, I feel, my three kids were not there in a time many years ago. How easily do I, I can speak for myself, forget myself. We women are incredible, compassionate beings. We can give and give and care. But compassion is the flow, is cyclical. It goes and it needs to come back. Otherwise, that vessel that's empty cannot, cannot, cannot be the harvest. So 
I need to be reminded of that. And these were stories because just when you think you nailed it, there was something else, you know, whether it's tiger mom, helicopter mom and so on. And from my professional capacity, I just want to drop this in. Quite recently, they were speaking about how they dual parenting and men getting involved with the parenting. And however, when there's an issue that happens with a child under 18, the first line of contact is the mother, regardless of whether she's working or so on. So we've still got a little bit of a way to go. And interestingly, in my journey to different countries and insights, I realized that's not always the case. The duties are shared. And there's some cultures that call their aunties, the maternal aunties, little mom and bigger mom and so on. So the child grows up knowing that the expectation is not just pushed onto one person. It's beautiful. And also after delivery, the mother is confined. It sounds isolating. But no, no, no. In retrospect, I see it's beautiful. She sits back. She gets massages. She's, you know, nourished and uh, looked after. And she's just not left to make decisions on her own. And that's not being confining or imprisonment. In fact, how often are we challenged with the decisions we make on our own? So many choices, don't know what to do. But a mother is supported by those who've been through the journey. So it depends how we look at it. So I just call for connections because Mm. isolation is a curse. And how beautiful if we as women could connect with one another, listen to where one another, and then support one another based on their needs, not on our imposition. Oh my gosh, how beautiful. I can see that kind of a world that we are all living in, holding our sisters and brothers and mothers by the hand and reaching out further to every woman and child in the world and dancing maybe and turning things upside down maybe. (laughs) Absolutely. So ladies, I love, before we we sort of leave everyone today, I love first to dive into that conformity. I think you touched on it, Vali, but how did you sort of stand your ground and say, okay, this is what I'm going to do and not be swayed by the influence of the people around you. And especially I think mum's dealing with that in terms of the children's influence as well as saying, like what Diana was saying, well, my friends can go and do a sleepover, why can't I? How did you as a parent decide, manage that situation? Absolutely. My gosh. Yeah, there again, I'm glad that the handbook was lost <laughs> and that unwritten, if it was if it was found even, it would be, you know, I don't know if I could read it, if I have the capacity and the eloquence to read it even. But conformity can come from multiple areas. So even if we're so- saying that I'm not going to conform, I'm going to be making the change, I'm strong and so on. Uh, We've got to be careful of that. I feel I've got to be careful of that. I've lived in different countries and so often in empowerment work, women are told you're strong, you can do anything you want. But that in itself can be toxicity because what is it that I want? What if I'm feeling I can't get out of bed today? And I don't want to do this, but the world is expecting this of me. We can say it's a notion of perfection. But what if the children that we love and care for say, mom, please don't do that. And where does that come from? Are the children actually mean and, you know, wish to put down their mother? Personally, I don't think so. I think society's confirmation comes at multiple levels. And one of the highest challenges for mother is to conform because this would be for the well-being of the child. I can think of 
a couple of examples, but this one stands out. Like I feel dance and movement and breath works, and these are all skills that we're not taught about. And if children learn this at the younger age, by default, they've got it. This is their living skills of being rather than any educational accomplishment, which I've been privileged to anyway, but I feel they're secondary. These accomplishments are secondary to our ability to be. So anyway, my second daughter, Vicky, was just an innate dancer and she'd move and dance and she was just so liberated and happy. And she goes to school in Western Australia, a great school. And then this one day, like, I'll fetch her and I'll just move my limbs and sing a song. And this one day she just shrieked out to me, please don't dance, mom, don't dance, don't dance. And I thought, oh, what's happening here? But uh, of course, it was like, however I feel, but I thought, what's happening to the child? Because I know her, her, just her passion, her excitement, her life, you know, her being lit up. And what's happening here? And I asked her, what's it? She said, moms don't dance. And that, for your, for your information, was the title of one of my, my workshops, Mothers Don't Dance, and it was just amazing. But she said, Mothers Don't Dance, please, Mom. And I said, all right, no problem, and I won't. No, you said negotiating there. She was this little girl, and I thought, I saw so much pain in her eyes. So what did I do the next day when I dropped her at school and went to see the principal? And I said, well, you know, I do some programs around. You don't have to pay me. I will do two workshops culminating in a performance. The condition is it's not going to be for the children. It's going to be for the teachers. And the teachers are going to perform at the assembly. And the principal goes, yes. And I told him about all the benefits of it and how teachers are role models. And no number of children performing could replicate the impact that will make to the 600 children. And of course, uh, he bought that. That was also good. And he called for two days for all teachers to stay back after school when the children had left. Teachers were not too keen because what's happening here. But he was amazing. He rolled up his pants, loosened his tie, turned up the cuffs of his sleeves, and we got practicing. And of course, Dinah and Vicky were there. And I told them, you've got to promise me this is a secret until the assembly. And anyway, the teachers were holding on to my daughters, Diana and Vicky, and say, we don't get the steps. You got to stand there and show it to us. And oh, my gosh, I saw Vicky just light up. What? I'm teaching the teacher? And she was pint-sized. You know? Anyway, the next assembly, we've still got a video of it. That was sensational. That is transformation. Because they announced the assembly, the teachers from the back moved on, put on some things, and then the music went on. It was sharp. It was quick. It was lightning impact. In two minutes, music, drum beats hit from principal to teachers, male, female, were on stage moving their shoulders, hips, hands, so on. And then bang, music stopped and they just dropped into a pose. I still remember the Indonesian teacher, Ibu Menzi, falling into Marilyn Monroe, uh, lying on the ground. And there was pin drop silence for a while, a school assembly of 600 people, and then which eventually roared, simply roared. And that was it. Impact. That was many years ago, almost 20. And today, the principal is still in touch with us. The teachers are still in touch with us. And uh, how about your friends, Diana? Do you want to speak into that space? Yeah, so I guess from my perspective, I, I had a really very real fear of judgment from friends when I was a child. And it wasn't uh, sometimes, you know, children can be quite judgmental of one another. 
And moving to new schools, I just wanted the desire to fit in was very strong. And the approval of others was just so important. So I did not want to take the risk sort of putting myself out there outside of the box with a dance like this. And I could really relate to my sister saying, do it. (laughs) But yeah, it was really embraced by everyone in the school, my friends included. And it was just so much fun. You know, just the fact that you came there and you were your authentic self, it really gave the permission around you to uh, permission to the people around you to feel that they can do the same, uh, including myself. And, you know, by really protecting your authenticity and going with your gut, you were also protecting me and Vicky at the same time. And it was just such a profound experience. I think it really, it was just so important to me in terms of my levels of resilience, my well-being, my self-confidence. It was really special. Amazing. Thank you so much, ladies. I've loved the conversation today and it's just really triggered so many other things that we, topics that we can talk about. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing. The listeners will really value this conversation. Thank you, Vali. Thank you, Diana. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for the work you're doing. So inspiring. Thank you so much. Remember that this is general advice only. Please see your healthcare professional for more information. So what's your take home message today? Remember it's all about progress and not perfection. And are you suffering from stress? Visit the Usawa Learning Hub on usawa.com.au for more resources on how to de-stress, re-energize and reclaim your health. Enjoy the journey.